So this morning, we're looking at Mark 9, verses 30 through 41. Mark 9, 30 through 41. Uh, before we read, uh, it'll be on the screen. If you've got it with you, you can follow along. Uh, otherwise, before we read, let's pray uh, together. God, uh, thanks for this time again, this space, this place, um, in person and virtual uh, where we can where we can just stop and stop everything and and just rest in you where we can just stop all the extra noise in our lives and and just pay attention to you and pay attention to your voice it is your voice we long to hear as we open this book. You know, we believe that somehow, some way, through your spirit, you are speaking, always speaking, and we long to hear it. So speak to us now. Allow your word to soak into our lives, to, to change us, to mold us, to make us into the kind of people you want us to be. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So Mark 9, starting at 30. So they left that place. They left a place. If you remember, we talked about Jesus with Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. They had this glorious experience of Jesus. Uh, they came down after that into the valley where Jesus heals a boy uh, who has an unclean or evil spirit within him. We all have things inside of us that don't belong there. He heals this young boy, and then they left that place and passed through Galilee. And Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. This is what he was teaching them. He said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But, but, but they didn't understand what he meant, and, and they were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what, what were you all arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. And then he took a little child. He took a little child and had him stand among them. And taking this little one in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not just welcome me, oh, so much more. But you're welcoming the one who sent me. 
Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we, we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. What? No, 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 don't stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. We will go that far. We'll stop there. So many good things to talk about. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to jump in to where we started. Um, we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to fill in a little bit of recap, which may in a moment sound familiar to you. And I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, and then we're just going to walk through the story because that's the best way to do it. Okay, so they, they left that place and they, and they passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the son of man will be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant, so they were afraid to ask. They didn't understand what he meant? Really? They did not, didn't Jesus, like, just talk to them about this? Like, wasn't he abundantly clear, like, really clear about it? In, in reality, he did talk to them about it, and he was abundantly clear. About it. In fact, this is just a chapter earlier in chapter 8. In fact, Mark tells us that, that he talked plainly to them about this. Right? And if what I'm about to say sounds familiar to you, it's because, because it is familiar. Because I, I literally used most of the same words that I'm going to give to you now. I, I used them last week, which is exactly what Jesus seems to have done here, which is sort of my point. So here's what happened. Right? Jesus, his closest friends, his disciples, uh, which is another way of saying learners. So they're supposed to be learning something here. They're supposed to be catching it and digesting it and understanding it. But they didn't understand him, so they were afraid to ask. These are our learners. They just had this deep, profound experience of Jesus. Right? They realized that he was the Christ, which is another way of saying he was the Messiah, which is another way of saying he was the anointed one, which is just another way of saying that he was going to be king, a king. And for them, that meant something very particular. He was going to be a king, which means he was going to assume the throne and bring back the great nation of Israel back to prominence and end Roman occupation. That's what that meant for them, right? And so then this was a big deal, a big moment, a profound moment, right? And then Jesus reveals to them that he is going to be a king, yes, but he is going to be a king the way no one else has ever been king before. He says to them something like this, I will undergo extraordinary suffering. This might be familiar. I will be rejected by my own people. I will be killed and three days later rise again. Now, this causes all sorts of confusion back then, especially for Peter, and then Jesus has this strong thing to say to Peter, but then he goes on to, to explain further what he means. He says something like this, if you want to come after me, you must carry your cross, deny yourself, carry your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, if you want your life to be all about you, you will lose it. 
But if you lose your life, if you give your life away for me and what God is doing in the world, then you will live the most extraordinary kind of life. You must be willing to voluntarily suffer. Give yourself away to the world on my behalf. That's how you live an extraordinary life. So he makes it abundantly clear. This was back then in chapter 8. And don't you think that conversation must have been rolling through their heads as they were walking along the road? Maybe, maybe not. So let's move on. Then they came to Capernaum, verse 33. When he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what were you guys arguing about on the road? Back then, I heard you talking. You know, you were arguing about some stuff. What was that all about? What were you, what were you arguing about? Now, I think this is fascinating and interesting. And it reminds me of a certain time in my life, too, back, back when I was in high school, back when I was in middle school, back, back in the day, right? This was before cell phones when we could just text each other in class. Like, what would we do? We'd, we'd write little notes on pieces of paper and we would pass them in class, the original texting right there. Like, we would pass notes and we would write things on them like, hey, do you like me? Yes or no? Check the box. Right? Or we would talk smack to each other about things like basketball or football or who is the greatest player or who is your favorite team, who is better. Or sometimes we wouldn't even pass notes. We'd just whisper in class. We got some teachers in the room. Do people still whisper in class? They still whisper in class. Right? There's just a juicy piece of gossip that was so important. You couldn't wait. You just had to talk about it. And then the teacher would do something like this. You've done this. Hey, Aaron, there's something you'd like to share with the whole class. And then suddenly you realize, oh my goodness, what I thought was so important is not that important, and I certainly don't want to share it with everybody in class. So they got into the house, and Jesus was like, I heard y'all. There's something you want to share with everybody? What, were, what, what was it that you were arguing about on the road? And they kept silent because they realized that what they were talking about yeah, it didn't have much to do in connection with this movement that Jesus was starting and this life that he was teaching them to live. They kept silent because they were talking about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? Who was the greatest? Really, that's what they were talking about? See, I mean, if you remember, well, Jesus, not long ago, was up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John while the rest of the disciples were down in the valley when someone brought to them, because they heard that they were connected to this Jesus, someone brought to them a little boy who, was, who had a, an unclean or an evil spirit. Something inside of him didn't belong there. And they wanted them to heal him. And they couldn't. They couldn't do it. They had failed. And now they're there walking along the road talking about which one of them is the greatest. Why were they having that conversation? That's just fascinating to me within the flow of this narrative. Why were they talking about that? Well, maybe they were starting to believe Jesus, that he really, that he really would die. Maybe they were trying to figure out who would step in and be the leader after he was gone, because they wanted this movement to continue. And in order for the movement to continue, it was going to need a, a leader. So which one of them was the greatest? Which one of them was going to take over the reins? Which one of them was going to do it? See, this social hierarchy thing begins to sort of kick in. And where is this coming from? 
And what were they thinking? Why were they anxious about any of this? Well, I think if we're honest about it, we all know where it comes from. And we're two millennia down the road, and we're still doing stuff like this. You ever feel like your existence needs to be validated? Like, wherever it is you are, however it is you're there, you're there. You, you ever feel like that needs to be validated? And of course. Like we, all, we all feel that way every once in a while. We all know that we don't always like, live up to people's expectations for us, even our own expectations for our own lives. And I think, I think that's a part of all of us. I think that each one of us, we want to live lives of significance. Right? We want it to mean something. Right? We all have this desire inside us to be, to be recognized as, as unique or special, or maybe even, maybe even great. Although we would never use that word, but that desire, something inside of us, we have it. And we live in a world that sort of lifts up people in front of us and tells us these are the people who are special. These are the people who are unique. These are the people who are great. These are the greatest among you. And what kind of people are held up and called great? for us. I mean, this would be a really good exercise, a good conversation, wouldn't it? To talk about who are the people in the world who are held up in front of us as great. And I'll tell you what, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a great big celebration of greatness. It's called the Super Bowl, and we all celebrated the greatness of Tom Brady, right? The GOAT. We literally call him the greatest of all time. Some of you don't think so. That's fine. I'm not here to argue. That's like a big celebration it's this great big national holiday where we celebrate the greatness of professional athletes. Is that what we mean by great? When I was a kid, I always wanted to be like Mike. Michael Jordan. Today, it's Kevin Durant. It's LeBron James. It's any number of other people. These people are held up in front of us and called great. It's people in Hollywood. It's people who hold political power. They have this great status. We're told these are the people who are great among you. What, other, what are the things that define greatness for us? And this isn't, this isn't even very hard. This is like cherry picking here. The people in our world who are called the greatest, known as the greatest, are the people who have the best jobs. They live in the best houses, in the greatest neighborhoods. They drive the best cars. They have the most money. And so we find ourselves like pursuing greatness in those ways. Right? If I could just get that perfect job, or if I could just move up and become more important in the job that I have, if I could just accumulate enough stuff, then people will look at me and be like, oh man, that person is great, right? Sometimes we parents use our kids as symbols of greatness. Look at how well my kid tears it up on the basketball court or the baseball field or the volleyball court or the softball field or my kid sings like an angel. Aren't I awesome? My kid gets straight A's. So parents even do this with their own children to help themselves feel great. On and on, is that what we mean by great? Because that's what, we're two millennia down the road from Jesus walking around on this planet in the flesh. And we're still defining greatness in terms of social hierarchy. 
And then Jesus does something fascinating because it seems to me that he's well aware of what they were talking about on the road, about who was the greatest. He says to them, calls the 12 to him, and he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last servant of all. Then he took a little child and had the little child stand among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said this, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me doesn't just welcome me. It's so much more. You welcome the divine. Oh, what's he doing? What is he doing? Well, like he likes to do, he's flipping it all upside down, turning it all on its head. This thing that we've been wrestling with for two millennia more, still wrestling with, he flips it all upside down, maybe turns it right side up again, because maybe we're the ones who have it upside down. Here's what he's doing. You see, in that world, in Jesus's world, children were non-persons. They were left with the mothers, who, of course, the women were considered subservient to men. Of course, we don't believe that stuff. That was then. This is now. We've moved beyond that. But then, in that world, they were left with the women, and the women were considered subservient to men, and the children were even further down on the social ladder. The only ones who were further down than children were slaves. So then, in order to reinforce the nobodiness of this child, Mark doesn't even tell us what gender the child is. He uses the neuter form of the word that we translate as child. So he says, it's literally translated, it says this, he took a little child and had it stand among them. You can't get more impersonal than it. Anyone welcomes one of these. In my name, you welcome me. And if you welcome me, you're not just welcoming me. It goes way beyond, so much bigger. You welcome the divine. To welcome the nobody is to welcome the divine. They're talking about who is the greatest. And he's like, to welcome a nobody is to welcome the divine. Oh, friends, this would have been mind-blowing for his friends. Would have been mind-blowing. He's trying to get them to understand how God views greatness. Greatness isn't defined as being high on the social ladder. Greatness isn't defined by all the things we would define greatness by. It's not defined by having wealth, having status, having power. Greatness is defined by welcoming those on the bottom rungs of this social ladder we've created, or it's welcoming the ones who aren't even on the ladder at all. Greatness is a measurement word. We know this. In the, the word in Greek literally means more. So when we think about greatness, we think about it in terms of more, more achievement, more wealth, more status, more power. But Jesus redefines this idea of greatness and ties it to this idea of welcoming. 
What? If anyone welcomes one of these, true greatness isn't isn't about how far we rise above others, but how far we are willing to go to embrace the most vulnerable people in the world. Jesus is like, you want to know what's great? It's how far you're willing to go to embrace the most vulnerable among us. Friends, I think this is something we can do in our normal everyday lives. Like, it doesn't have to be big and flashy. That's what we think of when we think of greatness. We think of big and flashy. Jesus even connects this a little bit later on to giving someone a cup of water in my name. Small. Welcome. Hospitality. So this is a posture that we take in our normal everyday lives. It's a posture of being in the world as open and receptive as we can to others. At home, at work, at play, at school, in the store, in the gas station. It's living our our normal everyday lives in an open, hospitable way. It's thinking about the most vulnerable in the world and welcoming them. I changed my sermon this morning. I had this cool little story. It was great. Great. But I'm not going to use it because I experienced something yesterday that I have to talk about this morning. Sometimes people ask me, where is the kingdom of God? Like Jesus taught a lot. His central message was about the kingdom of God. And then more and more and more and more, I'm beginning to realize, have for a while, but if we miss what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, like we're missing most of what he taught. If we make the Jesus story about his birth and death and resurrection, and we miss what he taught about the kingdom, we're missing a whole bunch, most of what he taught. And so when, when people ask me, where is the kingdom of God? Like, what is this? You know where the kingdom of God showed up? The kingdom of God broke into our reality in Lowe's, of all places, yesterday. Like, there were a number of us, a group of us, who, who showed up. Some of us just normal, everyday people, and some of us were, were big, fancy, you know, Iowa State football players and coaches. Greatness. They're great. And we all showed up in this sort of side to back room of Lowe's, and, and we built a bunch of desks, 132 of them from scratch, put them together. And we all showed up and we did that. And we had this fantastic time working alongside of, of one another, talking and laughing and joking and injuring ourselves with tools we've never used before, and it was great. <laughs> and, it, and we did that all because there's this one guy our own Hallie Evans' dad, Nate, who a while back had this idea, this flash, and he'll tell you it was given to him. Like, he didn't come up with it. It was gift. It was grace. Just plopped in him somehow. 
that we're in the middle of a pandemic here, and there are lots and lots of kids who are going through school at home. Like almost 30% of our, our kids in the Ames School District, are, their children have made the decision to keep their, their, their kids at home with them to, to go through school that way, just to make sure. That, and we don't know why. Maybe, they're, maybe their parents have an underlying condition or they have a grandparent living with them. It doesn't matter. That's the choice. And, and so a lot, lots of these kids don't have a, a, a dedicated place in order to do their schoolwork. And so he thought, we're going to build some desks and we're just going to give them away for free. Right? And then parents would come home and you know what happened next? They would, they would come to Lowe's, they picked up the desk, and then they would bring them back to their homes. And you know what would happen there? The kingdom of heaven broke in inside their homes, just like that. Have you ever been around a child who's been given a new gift? Oh my goodness, it's like, this is the best thing in the world. Now they've got their own desk. They can decorate it. They can make it look exactly the way they want. They can put it in their own home. They're not connected with other kids. They're not connected with the school system on a very deep relational level right now. They're at home, but now they've got this space, and it's beautiful, and it's dedicated just for them, right? They're overwhelmed with joy. The kingdom of heaven breaks in just like that. Oh, it's so good. Dare I say, that's great. That right there is great, all because there's this guy who decided to think about and pay attention to the most vulnerable people right now in this world. And then a whole bunch of other people got in on it, and that's the way these things go. They just go. Oh, Jesus redefines greatness for us. And we've been struggling with this for thousands of years as a species. But he redefines greatness for us. It isn't about the accumulation of wealth. It isn't about more stuff. It isn't about more status. It isn't even about what people might think about us. Jesus redefines greatness in terms of service, in terms of giving life away. If you want to be first, you must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus redefines greatness in terms of love and inclusiveness and hospitality and generosity. That's great, Jesus said. So the questions that confront us at the end of all of this are these. Are we living into that definition of greatness? Are we, are we living into that definition of greatness? As we look at leaving this place here today, as we look at, at whatever it is we're going to do this afternoon, right? are we, you know, who are we going to bump into today at home, at work, at play, around town, wherever it is we go? Who are the people we need to welcome? To whom do we need to extend a hand of hospitality? How will we walk in this world? What will our posture be? Our normal everyday lives, how will we walk it around in this world with a posture of openness and inclusiveness and love and generosity? Like, I can't answer that question for you. But here's the good news. You get to think about it now. And you, along with the Spirit of God in your life, you get to answer that question.
how will you live?